0: You're listening to The Big Reviewski on Joe, brought to you by Omniplex Cinemas. See it all with my OmniPass. Hello and welcome to another bonus feature of The Big Reviewski. I'm uh, Rory Cashin, and today I'm joined by uh, an actual legend of the industry. It is Jeb Stewart. He is the screenwriter. His very first credit on IMDb is Die Hard. Diehard. hard. Like, he could quit immediately after that and still be considered one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. But he also went on to write the uh, Oscar-nominated, Best Picture Oscar-nominated The Fugitive. He also worked with Eddie Murphy on Another 48 Hours. He is essentially uh, an icon of modern action movies. Uh, he's heading over to Dublin to the Irish Film Institute on the 19th of January for a masterclass teaching up-and-coming uh, screenwriters how to improve their craft. Uh, and we were lucky enough to have a, a long conversation with him about uh about his career, uh, focusing an awful lot obviously on Die Hard and the Fugitive, uh, and what he thinks of modern action. Uh he I'll just let you I'll just let you listen to what he has to say because there's no point in you listening to me. He's the interesting one. I'll uh I'll just I'll, I'll stay quiet now. Off you go. Jeb, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I'm just terrific.
0: Great. Um, you're coming over to Dublin, Ireland, on the 19th uh, of this month to uh, to impart your wisdom of screenwriting upon <laughs> upon the people. Uh, have you been to Ireland before?
1: I have. I have been uh, uh, several times. Unfortunately, I've all of my visits because of work have been around in the Dublin area. So, I'm looking forward to a longer uh, a longer experience this year. So, hopefully, I can get around the island a little
0: more. Oh well, there's a lot to see, and if you need uh, any tourism tips, once the interview's done, you you let me know, and I'll let, I'll send you in the right directions. I, th-
1: that's what I, I. That's exactly what I need, Rory. So I definitely will.
0: No problem whatsoever. So I'm going to kick kick off right away. I'd I'd like to know, for yourself, what do you think is the greatest? Uh, what What do you think is the better compliment? Either the the Simpsons perfectly parading the fugitive in. In uh, with Millhouse, for <laughs> or Brooklyn Nine Nine constantly referencing Die Hard as the greatest movie of all time.
1: Well, I'm a huge fan of both of those, um, and I <laughs> so and I know my my daughter would uh, would say The Simpsons, uh, and my other daughter would say um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. So I, I, I'm going to have to split the baby here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm amazingly uh, honored that that it has as many fans of that next generation as you can possibly want. But uh I, I, I love both. I am I'm, I'm partial to Millhouse. If you would twist my arm, I think that, that that's my favorite.
0: That's that's fair. Like he lost his glasses when he jumped out of the uh, when he jumped out of the, <laughs> the pipe, so I totally understand. Um, when it came to your initial involvement in the script, can you can you talk us through it a little bit because there's so There's so many uh, stories about how the movie came to be, you know, it's a sequel to uh, a Frank Sinatra movie and then it was potentially a Commando 2 movie. So could you just talk us through your introduction, uh, what it was when you came on board and how it came to be, you know, potentially the greatest action film of all time?
1: Well, I, that's a that's a big question. The, as far as how I came on board, it was pretty simple. I I was in a uh, four script deal at Disney. I'd been in graduate school for about five years. Uh, I was signed coming out of uh, uh, a graduate program at Stanford uh, and uh, to Disney. And Disney was reorganizing and getting into more live action at the time. Um, and it was a great place for a young writer to be, but um, but they weren't going to make anything that I was writing. And it, and it became very clear after about 12 months that I was in sort of a spin cycle. Um, and I was finishing a, a script for them, and you're allowed by WGA to, uh, to, to, to want, once a script is turned in, you had essentially, in those days, I don't know what it is today, but in those days you had five weeks to uh, work on another project uh, outside of your exclusive contract with the studio. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I went to my agent and I said, you know, I'm starving to death. And he, uh, he said, I understood. And uh, he, he put me, he, he made a phone call while I was sitting in his office over to 20th Century Fox to um, uh, a really wonderful executive with Larry Gordon's company named Lloyd Levin. And Lloyd had a book called Nothing Lasts Forever, uh, that was uh, that was owned by Fox. And that's the book that you refer to as the sequel to The Detective. Um, it was about a 60-year-old man who, you know, goes to Los Angeles and um, – uh, you know, he, uh, on Christmas Eve, he attempts to, and I'm not quite sure if it was on Christmas or not, but, um, anyway, he goes at that time and he, and she's about 40 years old and he finds out she's culpable in this crime and he ends up dropping her off the top of a building by accident. I didn't really think that was a great idea for a movie, but, but quite frankly, I was so broke. I would, uh, I would have written the Dead Sea Scrolls at that point. So <laughs> I, um, uh, I said, yes, I think it's a great idea for a movie. And, uh, and eventually I found my way to um, it's not about a 60 year old man. It was it was really about a 30 year old man. I'd gotten into a fight with my wife one night and um, uh, and stomped out of the house. I, I, I know this probably never happens in your relationships, but she was right. And I was wrong. But I, I didn't apologize at that moment. And then I was in a near accident heading back to the studio that night. And I thought, you know what? I know what. Nothing Lasts Forever slash Die Hard is. It is a, not about a 60-year-old man who drops his 40-year-old daughter off a building. It's about a 30-year-old man who should have said he's sorry to his wife because something bad happens. And, um, and I went down and wrote about the first 40 pages of the script that night. And, of course, the next morning I had to come still apologize to my wife. But it, it was worth it to get that, that core out of it. So that was my start with Die Hard. Um, I wrote it over five weeks, turned it in. Um, was promptly fired from Disney when they announced the movie over at Fox because they couldn't believe I wrote it in five weeks. And um, I moved my operations over to 20th Century Fox for probably the next four or five years. And, uh, and they started immediately, they greenlit it over the weekend, which never happens anymore, or it doesn't happen to me anymore. And it was very exciting, you know, to turn in a script on a Friday Uh, And have uh, it in the trades on Monday morning that they're going to make your movie. So uh, anyway, uh, but it it began a long process. And and the other part of your question, and I'm sorry, Rory, for just sort of rambling on. But the other part of your question is, how did it become a really good action movie? Um, That's kind of a separate situation, but it's kind of tied together. Uh, I didn't I had no experience writing action whatsoever. Uh, and I think that's an important thing for writers today uh, to understand, uh, because a lot of a lot of action stories are derivative on things that we have seen before. We think people will will like and that sort of thing. And I didn't come to it by any of those sort of preconceived expectations of what it should be. I I came to it in a way that I uh, because because Nothing Lasts Forever was not an action book. It was more of a suspense thriller. And and when I was in graduate school, I had a really great good fortune to uh, have an opportunity to talk and have meals with and discuss suspense with some of Hitchcock's writers uh, who were still alive and would come up to Palo Alto to talk to the graduate students. So I, I am a big fan of suspense. And I felt like if you could sort of extrapolate the parts of suspense, suspense into sort of an action Framework, whatever that was, you might be able to create something where you, you know you give yourself places to sort of rest in the story, but it, it keeps a it keeps a level of of movement going. Um, I mean, this sounds like I've spent too much time thinking about action, but I, I've I, 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 I'm uh, have until just recently I've been a professor screenwriting at Northwestern University in Chicago, and uh, and I've taught a couple of classes on action. So I, yeah, I think I've over overanalyzed uh you know not just die hard but the whole action genre over the last couple of years but i do think that that was an important part because it really wasn't based on any other notion other than it had to entertain me and if it could entertain me i felt like we were in kind of a good place moving forward now anyway uh I, I, that's all I'll, i can tell you right now i could probably talk for an hour on action but that's not what you want to want to hear
0: no like i i think i think if anyone's allowed to uh overanalyze uh action (laughs) scripts then it's the guy whose very first imdb credit is diehard uh and then you know you go on to write um uh the fugitive as well which in this day and age like it was nominated for best picture back when there was only five nominees in the category and it's like action movies that is not movies that get that kind of uh critical attention i guess like if you look yes. at stuff like maybe mad max fury road but that's that's essentially it not, everything else is heavy drama stuff so why do you think uh from uh, since you've uh over analyzed it yourself why do you think <laughs> movies like Die Hard and like the fugitive end up being you know iconic in the genre and uh and we don't really get as many of them uh anymore
1: Unfortunately, we probably are not we're going to I think we're going to move into a different place, Rory, because I think we're because of the streaming and what we're allowed to do and what movies are going to be able to do from, you know, from a different platform, from a different format. I think you may get back into suspense. Um, What makes suspense work in my in, in my estimation is that it's character based. Die Hard was a character-based action movie. It wasn't like a Marvel comic, you know. You, you know, you have you just have a cop coming from New York. He, you know, gets off a plane in another city. He doesn't have any, you know, uh, you know any standing in that community. He sort of stays anonymous for a long a part of. It. The Fugitive was about uh, you know a Chicago doctor, uh, you know who's wrongly accused. So these are not superhuman people. These are just you know, normal, normal people. And um, unfortunately, a movie like The Fugitive, I don't think would be made as a major uh, studio project anymore because it doesn't pencil out financially. Um, uh, excuse my math. But the, but the fact is, you know, you had a Harrison Ford and you had a Tommy Lee Jones and, and neither of those guys are necessarily cheap to get into a movie. Uh, you don't have tons and tons of special effects. It's all really driven by what those characters bring to the story. Uh, so you're depending a lot on that. And, and, and then quite frankly, it's a different business model today in that, uh, studios are, are, you know, multinational, you know, media companies, they, uh, a big part of their bottom line is going to come from other markets that weren't on the radar in previous years, for example, like Asia and, you know, uh, you know parts of Europe and South America and places that you, you really were just sort of an add-on, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, that's why Marvel Comics will, will pencil out. You can make that for $250 million and it'll make a billion dollars, whereas something like The Fugitive – which is so character, you know, dependent upon an American protagonist uh, who may not sell in China at all. So, you know, it's just not going to make the same, have the same return on the investment dollar. That said, like I said, I think if you made that movie through a Netflix uh, today, uh, you would find an audience and it would find an international audience. um, uh, And you can keep the numbers down uh, where you couldn't do that with a studio, big studio model. Anyway uh again more information that you probably want to
0: know <laughs> no no like i like in my brain right now it's just sponging up I've literally everything and anything you have to say about it so by all means just uh you know let that let all that stuff fly um i have i guess in my own uh film lovers opinion the biggest difference i think for me would be say modern action movies that that stick out in in my mind as being you know really high benchmarks for the genre would be like John Wick or The Raid or again Mad Max Fury Road. But the the big difference f- for me for those is that when I think of Die Hard and The Fugitive, there's so many quotes from Die Hard and The Fugitive. Like <laughs> you can actually like you can talk out quotes from those movies as you're talking about the film, whereas you know John Wick and and the modern movies not so much. So on top of them being Uh, brilliant action movies they're endlessly quotable and obviously a lot of that has to come down to you so how uh, I guess this is going to be a difficult question to ask but like how do you when you're in the middle of putting together uh, an extremely tense kind of complicated plot for the likes of Die Hard and The Fugitive do you also make room for just these incredible (laughs) one-liners?
1: I, I think I think humor is a big part of action. It's a big part of suspense. And if you if you look at if you look at um, if you look at Hitchcock, for example, you, you, there, there's there's a lot of humor there that um, uh, is he uses and his writers used brilliantly to sort of diffuse a moment uh, or to uh, I you know I tell my students it's it's like pumping the brakes on a story. You can use uh, humor to. Um, to kind of give yourself a pause in the story or to deflect the audience's expectation for the next thing. You're constantly trying to, you know, in my opinion, you're constantly, I'm trying to figure out the movie as I'm watching it. I've seen, we've all put in 10,000 hours in this, you know, in, in in film or television or, or any type of visual media. So we, we've seen a lot of stuff and, um, and the whole secret is, 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 Preparing the audience and, you know, allowing the audience to enjoy a new story or if it's an old story, you know, coding it in some way that we don't we just don't say, you know, to our partner sitting there in the theater. I know where this is going to end. Let's go. Um, I so humor takes the edge off. And both of those movies, Rory, are, are again, I go back to this idea that they're character based. Um, it's, it's good. John Wick is a very recognizable character. I mean, he's, he's a much more serious character than a John McClane. I love those movies too, by the way. And, and, uh, but I love them for the action and I love them for, uh, look, I think Keanu is just one of the most underrated, um, uh, actors, you know, that, that are out there today. I wish he worked more uh, I did a, uh, a script for him that I was not involved in the movie, but I had an opportunity to work with him on it. And I just thought he he he's a terrific human being and a terrific person to work with. And that comes through in his, you know, in his acting style. So you need that type of character to pull pull that off. But anyway, um, I, I think that when with die hard, I'll be really honest with you, the I'd never done that type of action, and so every time I had written something that I would be like, "Gosh, I wonder if the audience is even going to buy this." I would, I, I would use humor to sort of def, to deflect that, and it with Bruce that was that was really easy to do because he could sell that. He could sell that sort of like you know, uh, come to the coast, you know, you know the, the, those kind of lines of uh, you know he 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 could he could he could he could bring that sort of um, that level to it it's really interesting that that script went to uh Clint Eastwood first who was completely wrong for it but I was very excited it's my first movie and we're sending it to Clint Eastwood and he came back saying I don't get the humor you know uh and and I was kind of shocked this was the guy who said you know make my day and do you feel lucky punk And it was kind of like you know, I didn't write to that, but I thought that that was character-based humor as well, and I couldn't understand. But it would have been a totally different movie had it gone to had it gone to Clint Eastwood.
0: Absolutely, like it's 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 it, they are both both uh, mentions or types of those movies where if you if you think of anyone else in those roles now, it just it does not work <laughs> at all. Uh, and I think no uh, offense to anyone else who's worked in either of the movies, but. Uh, on top of this being your your first outing on IGB, uh like Alan Rickman, forty two years old, first yeah. <laughs> first movie, and it's maybe still the greatest cinema bad guy of all time. And he absolutely relishes every single line that he's gone in that movie. You can see he's he's just loving uh chewing on every single scene that he's a part of. Like when you see when you wrote those uh scenes for him. Uh, not necessarily for him but when you when you write these scenes for this character and then you see what he's done with it like is it that must be an incredibly proud moment for it's you.
1: An, yeah yeah let's let's give credit where credit's due. I mean it's uh, it's I don't think you'll find a writer out there that won't tell you that when you sit down at a table read with a really spectacular actor um, and they read what you're you've written and uh, it elevates it. I mean, it's just it, it, it's a it's an absolutely fun thing for a writer to hear his words being written. I mean, we're you know, we're uh, we're in the middle of, of, of doing a new project right now. And and when you hear even just the the cold reads from that are non-directed, you know, during the casting sessions, it's an exciting piece. But Alan Rickman could take something and put pauses in. That you never saw, um, but all of that comes from a description of the character at the very beginning. And and I'm I came from a place where you know, the better your villain is, the better your protagonist has to be. And uh, it, so a lot of, uh, in fact, a lot more emphasis often is put on my antagonist or my villain than on my protagonist because they really you know, they're really carrying a, A, they're typically a better actor, and B, they're, um, you know, they can carry a lot of the water that you have to carry uh, in terms of telling what the story's about, in terms of telling, you know, showing the concern. If your hero's doing something great, it will be reflected on the face of a terrific actor. So the more you can put into that character, the better it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you think about it, uh, like Tommy Lee Jones went on to win the Oscar for right. for The Fugitive so uh, and again his line of I don't care is just it's it like it'll go down in history it's just one of the greatest put downs like I don't, that's none of my concern but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Harrison Ford I think has said one of the most uh, famous things on screenwriting when he said to George Lucas like you can type this shit but I can't say it um, Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes that sounds, to uh, that sounds
1: so harrison I, I, that's absolutely i i believe that
0: yeah so when it comes to like writing for someone who who is of that stature like we are talking about some of the biggest stars in the world uh at the time does that yeah. put added pressure on you knowing knowing that's I, what's happening i tomorrow? got to
1: know harrison pretty well before um uh or, or before and during The Fugitive. I, um, the Fugitive, you know, we look at these things, and I think most people don't understand uh, what a precarious situation making a movie is uh, when it's really only in the story phase or the idea phase. And I, um, when I was signed on to do The Fugitive, there have been quite a few drafts of that. It had been around for about 10 years. And I bet there's not a, a wasn't a, a, you know, a writer of stature who had not taken a crack at that. Um, I they came to me uh, months and months before I signed on and said, would, you know, what do you think? And I said, I would love to do it, but I, I, I would like to do it as a, a standalone movie. And I would also like to do it where it's not running away from the electric chair Uh, it's proving that you didn't kill your wife. Um, And the studio Warner Brothers was like, nope, that's not going to work. We want to do Fugitive One, Two, Three, Four, Five. You know, this is, uh, you know, to to solve this in a movie isn't what we're looking for. And they came back to me about two months later and said, you know, let's talk about this again. And I said the same things. And I said, look, I've been thinking about it a lot, as a matter of fact. I also... um, I'm a real big believer that it's going to be his relationship with his wife has got to be the big driving piece. And They said, no, 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 no. We have to have a a, a love interest in this. And I said, well, that makes no sense at all. If he's trying to prove that he didn't kill his wife, why would you have him in bed with another woman? Uh, You know, you're going to have every woman in the world get up and walk out of the theater. And they said, well, this isn't going to work. So they went away and they finally came back about a month later and said, you know, all those things you were thinking about the fugitive. We now agree with you. (laughs) Wow, I have really made it in the screenwriting world. The studio is standing up and remembering all these things. And, like, I I, I went out, I met with Harrison, and the first three things that Harrison said was, I only want to do it as a standalone movie. I don't want there to be any sequels. And I really think this guy should be trying to prove that he didn't kill his wife. And I thought, well, (laughs) I know what happened. Harrison said, I'll do your movie if you do these things. And they start... Who was that guy that kept saying this? (laughs) (laughs) They came back to me. But I um, I literally had to go out and pitch Harrison the idea for the story. And in the process, um, you know, in the process of sort of saying, yeah, that sounds good. That doesn't sound good. This sounds like a way to go. That doesn't sound like something I would do. Um, We got to know each other's, you know, he got to know my writing style pretty well. I've done I've done two or three projects, written two or three scripts for Harrison, including Clear and Present Danger. And well, we did the sequel to The Fugitive, which he refused to do. And he told me up front he would never do a sequel to it. But it was, um, I think that went on to become U.S. Marshals. Yep. But anyway, um, I also got to know his sense of humor. And when you get a chance to know, uh, you know, an actor's sense of humor, it's really, its it really helps because it does feel like you know, he has come through the screen and um, and and Harrison's great strength is he people think they know him. Um, I, you know, when he does a role, even he can be Indiana Jones and people really sense that they they know him, not just Professor Jones. And that's a that's a you know, that's a mark of a star. It's a really it's very rare. There are lots of great actors out there, but, you know, people who can step through the screen are very few.
0: Yeah, like it's 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 funny that he, he didn't come back for uh the sequel. Tommy Lee Jones obviously did. I think they're trying to remake the Fugitive Now with uh with Albert Hughes, I think is 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 down to direct it for uh I can't remember who that, so that would be was.
1: that would be interesting. I uh, they, they they have definitely not come knocking on my door. So um that, <laughs> well, <laughs> which by the way, I, I I I'm not sure that I would have any interest in going back and doing that. I think it needs a I think it needs a completely fresh you know, if you're going to remake something like The Fugitive, you really ought to reimagine it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Totally do that. I think that's very cool.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask. It was considering now we're up to, uh, well, we had five diehards and there was going to be a sixth where it was going back to year one, I think, of John McClane's career. Um, <laughs> how come, like, were you involved in, in the process of any of the diehard sequels? And uh, considering that some of... The diehard sequels have not been well received is that something now that maybe should just be left alone
1: I, I you know what i i i i'm glad that they've made um other diehards i think i think the character can stand for it i i was only um, brought in to advise on the second one it was actually the second which was not one of my favorites but that was because it was they used an existing script that fox owned called um Fifty-eight minutes. Uh, it was a really well-written action script by Doug Richardson, uh, and they just there was a change of regime at Fox. They needed a tentpole movie, and what do we have that we could make into Die Hard Two? And they grabbed Doug's script and they uh, and they sort of squeezed it into it. Um, I was off working with Eddie Murphy on another sequel on Forty Eight Hours Too, so I, I wasn't available, and um, I you know I'm i to be real honest, after number three, I never saw any of the others i you know it's you know, I'm very happy with the first one but it's 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 not something that necessarily would appeal to me uh to to go back and do i, I like I like moving on to other things and been very fortunate to have that opportunity
0: oh, fantastic uh, I've only two questions left for you um one is what are you working on next
1: uh I'm actually working on um Uh, a a Netflix show called Valhalla, which is a follow-up to um, Michael Hurst's Vikings uh, show, which was one history channel for, you know, I think this is the sixth season. Uh, I'm my show is not a continuation of his show. It's a totally different uh, animal, but we're going to be shooting it down in in Wicklow uh, at Ardmore Studios. And um, we're, uh, we're cranking up for that right now. So it's, 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 I'm very excited about that. And I just finished last year doing a, um, limited series on Netflix, a, a great, I think it's great. Um, that's about as much self-promotion as you'll get. Uh, <laughs> I, a great project called the liberator, which, um, uh, is a, uh, a world war II project. Um, a great, uh, a story about, uh, a young American second lieutenant who starts the war sort of in the back office uh, talks his way into being given a rifle company of Mexican-Americans and Native Americans and cowboys, white cowboys, none of, none of whom could drink in the same bars in Oklahoma when the war starts. And he ends the war 500 days later, uh, a full colonel in charge of 10,000 troops, and they liberated Dachau. And it's a really great story. Uh, it's a it's a very Western American story. It's not the kind of you know D Day type of, of, of story we've heard in the past. It it takes place mainly in theaters of the war that we haven't seen, like the Italian theater or you know uh, the Vosges Mountains uh, in between France and Germany. And um, so anyway, that's uh, that's Netflix project will come out next year, and then. Valhalla will come out in 21 and um uh and that'll be a series that'll be a streaming series on on Netflix.
0: Fantastic. So that means even more time in Ireland for you. So that's that's good news. And very last it, one is Die Hard a Christmas movie.
1: It is absolutely a Christmas movie. Well, it uh, that's that it then. <laughs> was, it's funny, you know, I it, it's funny for me to read all these People who say, no, 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 we never intended it to be or it was not a Christmas. Movie. I think all that does is it makes people go out and watch it more. Well, let me see if it is or it isn't. But it, it, wh- while I was writing it, um, I always knew, one, from a simply plot perspective, I had a problem. I had to get people out of that building. And what's the only night of the year that most people are out of, off work? And, and especially in Hollywood, nobody, nobody's nobody been there for two weeks, so it's easy. But, but you know, to do it on Christmas Eve was fun. And um, and I always felt like, uh, and one of the things that was clearly not in the novel but was in the screenplay was, was about family. It was all about putting this family back together. And, you know, that's just as christmas Eve as uh, It's a Wonderful Life. So for me, I'm a big believer that you got to kind of ground any kind of movie, action, any kind of story with with things that that are meaningful to family or to people or to individuals. Oh, how are you do it? And so it it all I worked really hard to kind of make all that stuff work together. Did I think it would be a Christmas movie? That would be playing at night while you're wrapping presents all through the holiday season. No, never. You know, it, but but in terms of it being set at that time and having some of those values, yeah, I I, I wanted that to be the case. So. It's but, a Christmas
0: movie. Yeah, and I think you gave uh, the cinema-going public the best Christmas present of all, uh, ever. You know, So uh, thank you so much for that. I'd like to thank you on behalf of everyone who's ever gone to see hard. Uh Jeb, thank you so much for taking the time today. Best of luck with the uh, Masterclass on the 19th. Enjoy your trip around Ireland, and I'm sure we'll bump into you again when you're over for, for Vikings.
1: I hope so. Thanks very much, Roy. Thank <sharp anecdote> you so much. Have a good day.
0: Okay. bye 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 bye. so that was the very lovely jeb stewart uh make sure you go back and check all our previous b- b- bonus features we've had some very very interesting people and we've had uh, kevin Con- kevin Conroy, uh batman the voice of batman himself in the video games the animated series we've had uh oscar-nominated cinematographer dick pope we've had danny elfman the guy who writes the music for the simpsons and all of tim burton's movies so uh we've been having some really, really fantastic guests on as a bonus features lately. Make sure you go back and check all of those and check in with The Big Reviewski every single week for your latest hit of movie news, reviews, trailers, all that great stuff. Uh, so hit subscribe wherever you listen or watch to your shows and podcasts and stuff. And uh, yeah, talk to you again soon. Bye. You're listening to The Big Reviewski on Joe. Brought to you by Omniplex Cinemas. See it all with my Omnipass.